streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Welcome to Lake Kick is live. It is Tuesday night, December 28th, the year of our Lord, 2021. We are not high atop downtown Nashville, Tennessee. No, we are in Miami. And of course, by Miami, I mean nearby Fort Lauderdale. That's where our CBS Sports HQ studios are. That's where I am. Look, the last time we were in this building, Travis Hunter caused chaos when he decommitted from Florida State. He went to Jackson State. So look, I don't know what's going to happen tonight. Anything could happen between now and the time we go off the air. We haven't been live in about a week. That's because we've been building up to this. We are, as I said, in South Florida for the remainder of the week. We have got full previews and predictions for the college football playoff tonight. I got Bama Cincinnati coming up momentarily. I got Georgia Michigan. There are so many different angles that I feel like we could do an entire telethon on right now just talking about those games. But also, there's a lot going on with the transfer portal right now. We've been talking about it a lot on Late Kick. I don't just want to give you another transfer portal update of here's a new kid in the portal. Here's where we think he's going to go. Tonight, what I really want to do is I want to talk wholesale about the portal. We'll talk about some specifics. But there are some things happening right now that I think a lot of folks are freaked out about. And in the end, it's going to be okay. It's not the way that we want it at the moment. I don't think anyone's really overly happy with the way the transfer portal looks, even transfer portal advocates, of which I was one and still am one. There's just a better way to go about it. That doesn't mean we have to jump in and fix everything in uh, our best imaginative way possible. So we'll discuss that. I've got, I think, four more added best bets tonight. We're going to do what we rarely ever do on Late Kick Live, and that is a few Q&A questions. I put the call out on Twitter earlier today. Got a few Q&A questions, so we're going to get to that too. Very important, crucially important week that you are following on Twitter and Instagram, at Late Kick Josh. I don't know how much, I'm just going to use the word copious, copious amounts of added coverage will be coming your way in that Instagram story. Now, if you were tuned in last week when I was on vacation, you saw some felonious activity. This week, I don't know that we're going to commit any felonies down here. I do know that we're going to have a whole lot of fun. A lot of our guys are down here. Obviously, a lot of the national media apparatus is down here. A few casuals, a lot of good folks too. So we're going to try and intermingle with the folks that we know are one of us. And there are several down here. So let's dive into this. Boy, I mean, we could go forever tonight. But uh, in the interest of actually getting people around here home at a decent hour, we're not going to. Let's dive in though. Alabama versus Cincinnati. It's the first game. It's 3.30 Eastern time this Friday, New Year's Eve. Bama, there it is, a 13.5 point favorite right now. It fluctuates. It's been 14. It's been 13.5. But man, let's dive into this because I want you to do me a favor. I was thinking about this earlier today as I was in standstill traffic on I-95. I want you to go back to August with me. Just play pretend for a second. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to say, close your eyes so you're not distracted. And so there you close your eyes. I can't. I got to be responsible. We're on air. It's like being behind the wheel of a car. But close your eyes. It's August. And I'm going to tell you there's going to be a team this year that's going to stumble all over itself during the regular season. It's going to lose a game. It's going to be right on the brink of losing multiple other games. So they're going to sputter and sputter and sputter. But boom. They're going to click. They're going to catch fire at just the right time in a conference championship game. They're going to lock up the number one seed. And then all of a sudden, it's going to feel like they're shot out of a cannon in the playoff. However, they are still going to have that chip on the shoulder, us against the world, total underdog mentality. 
You would have thought I was talking about Clemson. You would have thought to yourself, oh, guess Dabo and Clemson are going to get him another one. That is the check mark. That's the box after box after box that you normally check for Clemson. It's normally, all right, well, they yeah, were up and down during the regular season, but they peaked at the right time, but they still believe they're like perma underdogs. That's what Alabama is right now. I don't really see them wear this hat that often. In fact, I don't remember ever hearing them go into the playoff and talking about wearing the underdog role. But yet, here they are. I thought that was funny along with the rest of you. But man, they got some Clemson vibes with this team right now. And when I say Clemson vibes, to be clear, I'm talking about that 2016 team, that 2018 team. If they have that about this team, if that's the way that they're going to perform in the postseason, it's probably Bama's title to lose. Now, here's the downside. We don't know. There's a great big ball of mystery around what we should expect from Alabama. So watch the line of scrimmage in this game. I was flying down here last night, and I was texting back and forth with a coach. And he said, brother, you'll know. You'll know pretty early on. Just watch the line of scrimmage. He put it like this. Now, this is not my breakdown, okay? He said, I don't think Cincinnati matches up either side with him. He went back to the Auburn film. And he said, I think Auburn matches up better with Alabama, both sides of the ball on the line of scrimmage, than do the Cincinnati Bearcats. Now, that's not terrible news because Auburn pushed Alabama to the very brink of losing themselves. But here's what he said. He said, here's what you got to remember. I'm going to circle back to this in just a second. When you're talking G5 versus P5 at this level, not just a generic bowl game, but when you're talking about a G5 team versus a Power 5 playoff team, he put it like this. Cincinnati's twos are not good enough to play at Cincinnati. Bama's twos are good enough to play at most Power 5 programs in the country. How much does that matter? Friday. I keep wanting to say Saturday. Since he's pressure rate, heard a lot of people talk about this. Since he's pressure rate, if you just pull up your statistics.com, just choose your website, wherever you want to go. I think it's going to fool you a little bit in this game. If you're looking at the traditional pressure rates that they're able to get, they're able to do a pretty good job. And so you'd look at that computer screen and you'd say, this computer screen looks like it's telling me Cincinnati's going to be able to affect the quarterback and do it with four guys. I do not think that's going to be the case. I hope for Cincinnati's sake it is the case because here's what happens if it's not. If they cannot get pressure on standard downs, especially if they cannot get pressure with four guys and they do have to dedicate extra men to pressure Bryce Young, ballgame's probably over. Uh, because he will pick you apart. They, it won't happen immediately, in all likelihood, but once they figure out what you're doing, and they will, he will pick you apart. Bryce Young's the best quarterback in the country, especially at that. You ask the Georgia Bulldogs. See, the big mystery around Georgia when they played Bama, one of them at least, was, yeah, they're the best statistical defense in the country, but it's a matchup thing. And matchup-wise, where are they going to get pressure from? Adam Anderson's not on the field. Where are they going to get pressure from? Well, the answer was they had to scheme pressure. And a lot of times that meant obviously having to bring more than four guys, which left, well, Jamison Williams far too often or John Mechie far too often or a tight end or a running back. And you realize how that turned out. Uh, it would be that turned up to another level against Cincinnati. That's the first thing you need to watch. How good is Cincinnati at getting pressure, standard downs, four guys? Uh, because if they can't do that and if they're having to dedicate extra guys for four quarters, you know, maybe that, maybe series to series, it's different. For four quarters, they won't stand up against Alabama. But I don't like to break down these games where there's a big point spread in that manner. What I like to do, those of you who have watched Late Kick for a while, you know this. I like to look at that spread, and okay, it's 13 and a half right now. And then I like to ask myself, self, do I believe there's any kind of shot that Cincinnati, in this case, can win this game? 
if I believe there is at least a puncher's chance, what I like to do is I like to forego the traditional breakdown and I like to ask, okay, if the answer is yes, and the answer is yes for me, I do think Cincinnati has a puncher's chance, how theoretically would that happen? And so I was thinking a little while today about how that could happen. A number of things have to go right, I think, for Cincinnati here. I do think this line's right. We're going to show what the model thinks in a little while. But there's something I use sometimes. It's called the yellow jacket effect. And I save it a lot for when a lower level team, maybe not a caliber, but a level team in terms of their conference plays up a level. I've always called it the yellow jacket effect. If you've watched the show for a long time, you've heard me talk about this before. Uh, Look, if you're a full grown human being, a yellow jacket's not going to kill you unless you're allergic to them. Yellow jacket's not going to kill you. But... If you look over, you know, you're sitting in your living room and you're totally calm and all of a sudden there's a yellow jacket buzzing next to your face, that doesn't make you jump any less high knowing that it can't kill you because there's there's just momentary reaction unless you're, you know, a serial killer and your heart rate doesn't get above 80 or you're like Kobe Bryant, you know, when the guy pump faked the ball in his face and he never even moved. I don't think those are real humans. But if you're a normal human and that yellow jacket's next to you or maybe a wasp is next to you, you jump for a second. How many times have we seen in these settings Some of these G5 teams come out with their hair on fire and they're probably throwing things at that power five team, in this case, Alabama, they haven't seen on tape. And it's just, it's the spider, it's the wasp, it's the yellow jacket effect. I also call it the cattle prod effect sometimes. How long can you keep a team stunned like that? How long can you keep them on skates or maybe on the the heels of their feet instead of on the balls of their feet? Whatever length of time that is, if Cincinnati does get Bama in that manner, they've got to score points during that process. You can't get latter portion of the first quarter, Alabama looks out of sorts, but it's three to nothing Cincinnati. It's got to be 10, 14, like that's what you got to do. You got to put a couple scores on the board. That's the first thing. The second thing we already talked about, they got to get the pressure with four. I highly doubt that they're going to be successful in that consistently. I mean, when we go back to the SEC title game, I, I thought the biggest story on conference championship Saturday, period, point blank, was Alabama's offensive line answering the challenge because there was a lot of stuff. Think about the hitch and go to Jamison Williams. Those of you who probably rewatched the game a hundred times, it takes time for that play to develop. And the reason why they were able to execute is because Bryce Young had time. I do not think Cincinnati is going to be any more effective without bringing extra guys than Georgia was at pressuring Bryce Young. They got to have, they being Cincinnati, a good plan, speak of the devil, to handle Jamison Williams. And this is where we start to bring the injury situation into focus. John Mechie, who's been a standout for Bama all year, is out uh, for the rest of the year, so he will not play in this game. Now, that's obviously the bad news. The good news is Alabama's not hurting for raw talent in the receiver room. I guess the downside of that is, in terms of proven talent, there really isn't anyone else. It's a bad quote-unquote problem to have. You know, most, most teams would kill to have this kind of problem. But Treshawn Holden's a guy that they've used some. Ja'Cory Brooks is a guy they're really excited about. He came on late, made the big catch against Auburn. Ajay Hall had a spring game to end all spring games. Hasn't really done anything this year outside of that. JoJo Earl, you know, there are names. I wonder which one or two of those names may pop. Because if Cincinnati can do a half-decent job against Jamison Williams, they are going to be able to focus on him and focus on him times two and times three until someone else steps up. Beginning in the season, you would have probably thought Jaleel Billingsley tied in position. Really hadn't been that way for most of the year. And so it's probably going to have to come from A, the wide receiver position, and then B, also the running back position. Because I think Alabama can have a fair amount of success throwing two running backs out of the backfield. 
which leads me to the last point for Cincinnati. Just as I said about Alabama there, Cincinnati's got to be excellent at utilizing the running back position. That doesn't just mean take Jerome Ford and run it between the tackles. That's not how you beat Alabama. If you've watched Alabama, some of the concepts they've struggled with the most are concepts that you've been playing on video games your entire life. Just the simple running back wheel out of the backfield. It can give Nick Saban and his defense fits every now and then. Uh, for that matter, Kirby, Mel Tucker, all these guys who run a version of the same defense, you can bite them sometimes. And Jerome Ford is very effective out of the backfield. He's going to have to be. Also, the mobility of Desmond Ritter, the quarterback there for Cincinnati, it's got to be used. This is not optional. This is not optional at all. He's got to be a weapon. If you go back to the SEC title game and you look at the fact that Bama outrushed Georgia, they did that because Bryce Young picked up enough on the ground with his legs. That's not a focal point of Alabama's offense, but you know it's there when you need it to be. It's got to be a step further than that for Cincinnati and Desmond Ritter. He's got to run the ball effectively to the point where it's always in the back of your mind. When you're a defender, whether the play's going on or whether you're a coordinator on the sideline calling a play, so I, I look at this. Those are the things I think have to go right for, for Cincinnati to be in this thing in the fourth quarter. At that point, you just take your chances. But look, I know a lot of you have looked at this and you've said, why should I expect any different result here than I've seen when Bama plays Notre Dame or Bama plays Michigan State? I don't think that's lazy necessarily. I, I think that's the way, absent of studying film all day, I'd probably look at this. And I haven't been studying film all day. So I have looked at it like that for broad strokes purposes. When we nail down, no, these are not identical teams. There are differences in the Cincinnati team than that Notre Dame team, than that Michigan State team. But the bottom line is you've got every bit as tall a task and every bit the same amount of tumblers have to fall into place. So I tried and tried and tried on the flight down here last night, watched about six more Cincinnati games and tried to find that path. So let's see what the model thinks, and I'll tell you what I think on this game. The Vegas number is 13.5. For those of you interested, the total there is 57.5. I plugged this into our model. For those of you who haven't followed all year, we just generate our own number. We try and do it like an odds maker. The difference is we don't have to put this number out for people to bet on. So our internal model has Alabama minus a little bit over the number, minus 15, which means it leans slightly Bama to cover. It certainly leans Bama to win. When I looked at what I think is going to be the deciding factor, and I'll go back to it one more time, the inability for Cincinnati to pressure Bryce Young enough without having to commit far too many resources to it, and I thought about that over four quarters, I found a two-plus score Alabama win in there more times than not. There is a puncher's chance. I just laid out for you how it would happen if this pick is wrong. But the pick is going to be Alabama to win. The pick is going to be Alabama to cover. And I think what you're probably saying between the 3.30 game and then that 7.30 game, the one we'll be at, is wow. That one seed was so valuable for Alabama and Nick Saban to have locked up, looked like Georgia was going to have it all year. That's the benefit of beating them in the SEC championship game. So we're going to take Alabama to win that one. We're going to take Alabama actually to cover, and they'll go on to the semifinal to face. Yeah, fill in the blank. I will tell you this, though. Christmas break was good. I hope your Christmas break has been very good. A lot of you are still on vacation. Uh, but I, I was looking through my email over Christmas break, and my DMs were flooded with pictures of receipts from Academy Sports and Outdoors. And I had, I, I screenshotted some of the stories you guys have sent. I sent it to management, certainly sent it off to Academy. 
I mean, we had we had one email. I'm just going to be full disclosure, full real with you right now. I had an email yesterday from someone who spent a sizable amount of money at Academy. And he said he had had a bad in-store experience. Now that happens to the best of us, okay? This is not a knock on Academy. Had a bad in-store experience once upon a time at Academy. And he, said, he told me, I said I was never going back. But when Academy came on late kick, I decided to give him another try. And here's the rest of the story, as my old colleague Paul Harvey would once say. He said, I loved it. It was great. I'm so glad that they came on board because I'm so glad I had a reason to go back. I will be back again. I have had mountains and mountains and mountains of emails uh, that in some shape, form or fashion tell that kind of story. Now, I made the stupid mistake the other day of going on this show and saying that. But then I said, I can't read all those emails. Well, I got some correspondents, some people who are also in this business who said, don't ever say that. Read every one of your emails. And you know what? They're right. And I used to say when I started the show, I'm going to read every one of my emails. So that was how I spent Christmas. I've spent my Christmas updating my inbox and reading every one of those emails. I appreciate it. Look, you guys know the deal, but if you're new around here, Academy Sports and Outdoors is very, very important to what we do. For the show's purposes, they put us on the air. I mean, they're the reason this show's free. But for your purposes, and I think a lot of you found this out, if you've never been to Academy, or if you don't have one in your backyard and you've never been to Academy.com, you know, you may think it's for, I don't know, like softball equipment or soccer equipment or, or maybe on the radically other side of things. Maybe you think, well, that's just where you go to buy T-shirts. No, it's where you go to buy everything. And some of you live the more minimalist lifestyle like I do. Had to bring my backup white T-shirt in the uh, studio, by the way, tonight. I forgot my, forgot my first and second string shirts at home. And yeah, believe it or not, there's more than one of these things. Academy's got it all. A lot of you found that out. I had a picture of a guy just toting a grill through a parking lot the other day. Academy Sports and Outdoors, it's not too late, by the way. A lot of you got those gift cards for Christmas. Whether they say Academy on the front or not, they're good. They're good at Academy. So go check out our friends at Academy Sports and Outdoors. And look, when you check them out, you're getting what you're going to have to buy anyway. But in the process, you can say thank you to them through us for making the show possible. Boy, we appreciate it. We really appreciate them being on board and appreciate you guys for, in a, such a fun way, letting them know how much you appreciate them appreciating us. A lot of appreciation around here. That's the way you want to enter a new year. Okay, what a game we have coming up. Oh, man. I, uh, <laughs> to be honest, it wasn't that tough a decision. A couple of weeks ago, we were here, and here is Fort Lauderdale right now. We were down here for the signing day show. And we walked out of the studio. I was with uh, like Trey and Bud. I was with all Steve Wolfong, all the folks who had been on the air that day. Cooper, Patagna, Chris Singletary. I don't want to leave anyone out. And we walked out and it was nighttime and it was like 81 degrees even after it had rained and we were surrounded by palm trees. And as I told you guys on the air, I just looked around and I said, I'm, I got to come back down here, don't I? Especially if you have a reason to. So that's why we're in Miami and we'll be there for the... Uh, what is it? Yeah, the Orange Bowl. I used to call it the semifinal game, but you got to be respectful of the citrus. So the Orange Bowl, we will be there. Colin, if you're, uh, if you're in Nashville back home, here's your end cut right here. Georgia, Michigan, the Orange Bowl. It is the second leg of the college football playoff semifinal Friday night. We will be on hand. Yours truly will be right there on the sideline. 7.30 kickoff on the eastern side of things. Georgia currently a seven and a half point favorite. How do you think about this? I know a lot of people do breakdowns. We're about to do a breakdown. But I think really at the core of a game, when you say it, there's this thing that pops into your mind. Sometimes it's, oh, this is going to be a blowout. Or, oh, man, I don't, I don't trust that quarterback. What pops into your mind when you think about Georgia-Michigan? Because i tell you what popped into my mind today is what was putting a game breakdown together. 
Amnesia sometimes is a terrible thing in the world of sports, especially because you don't learn lessons. You, you sit there and you have a lesson taught to you, but you forget it. Most of the time, amnesia is not good in sports. In this case, I'm not so sure amnesia may not actually help you a little bit in setting your expectation level and sort of calibrating the expectations for this game. Here's what I mean by that. What is your most recent memory of the Georgia Bulldogs? Answer, the SEC championship game and a loss to Alabama. Table that for a second. What is your most recent memory of Michigan football? Michigan fans are saying, well, we skull drug Iowa pretty effectively. That's true. Most people's lasting memory of Michigan this year is not the Iowa game. It's the Ohio State game. Far more people remember that. It's, it's etched in the minds of uh, more of the college football public. Well, the reason that I'm telling you amnesia may not be the worst thing in the world to be suffering from here is because what worked or didn't work in those respective games I don't think applies a whole heck of a lot to what we're going to see this Friday night. I mean, Alabama didn't even have to worry about running the ball all that much on Georgia because they knew they could throw the ball. Michigan, in no world, can go into this game Friday saying, hey, if we run it, fine. If we don't, fine. Cade McNamara is just going to bomb away on Georgia. No, no, no. That can never happen. Now, Michigan may beat Georgia. It won't be because they just gave a token run or two and they just bombed away on that secondary. But it's the same way with Michigan. Michigan plays Ohio State. I was at both of these games. You're standing there early on, and Michigan's pounding away, pounding away, pounding away, and there's a gain of two, then a gain of six, then a gain of 13, and nine, 13. They start to break it off. Michigan, I think they threw the ball like 19 times or 20 times. They just had their way with Ohio State on the ground. Ohio State had a breaking point. I don't think Georgia's run defense against Michigan is going to have a breaking point. And so what I mean there is Michigan also, you know, you can't be looking over there and saying, uh, you know what, um, I think if we just run, 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 eventually they'll break. I don't think so. Like, I, I don't think so. So a lot of the ways that those games played out, I don't really think it, um, it applies all that much. It's good. Like you learned a lot about the teams. I just don't think it applies nearly to the degree that a lot of people are making it out to be. I know those were big games. Like, I would go back and look at other sample sets and, and data points and games if I were going to get a better read on this one. Speaking of reads, man, how much has this been talked about? I haven't spoken to you live in about a week, and this has just been bubbling and bubbling and bubbling, and here we go. Stetson Bennett. I mean, it was as recently as today, I'm going back and forth with people about him. He's the quarterback at Georgia. For those unfamiliar, a lot of, a lot of people just come around for the playoffs. So sometimes I got to watch the pronouns and I got to actually give you the names. A lot of people are misdiagnosing the culprit of the SEC championship loss. A lot of people are just looking at Stetson Bennett. I mean, I had a guy today tell me, were you going to tell me Stetson Bennett didn't cost us the SEC championship? Uh, yeah, I'm going to tell you he didn't exclusively cost you the SEC championship. Stetson Bennett notwithstanding. I'm not telling you he played a perfect game by any stretch, but I do believe that if Georgia doesn't do any better than 30 rushes for 109 yards against Michigan, it ain't going to matter what Stetson Bennett does. And that was the same story in Atlanta. Georgia runs the ball for 3.6 yards per carry, and I got fools telling me, well, forget about that. Stetson fault. What are we talking about? Like, in what world was I ever going to feel comfortable in Stetson Bennett facing a lot of third and five plus situations against Will Anderson and Dallas Turner? Like, that's not the way it was supposed to work. The way it was supposed to work is Georgia's run game puts me in third and manageable or second and manageable. And then Stetson Bennett gets to throw the ball out of luxury instead of out of necessity. Michigan can do that same thing. 
That's what I, I got one of my biggest fears for Georgia. I'm going to talk about in a second. Michigan can accomplish that same thing. But there's a lot of misdiagnosing still to this day of what the culprit was that cost Georgia that SEC championship. Now look at both sides of these, these respective uh, teams. There are kinds of players in this sport. We call them popcorn droppers. Jamison Williams for Alabama is one, for example. Can you find me one in this game? Silence, because I can't. I see some really good players, but I don't see game breakers on the perimeter. I really don't. I think Brock Bowers is an extremely good tight end. I was listening to our college football nerds buddies today, and one of them put it the right way. He said, Brock Bowers is a phenomenal player. You don't break games open. You don't pop the top with tight ends. And he's right, you don't. Having said that, because there are not those popcorn-dropping game-breakers out wide, it throws this game into such a barrel of volatility. And by that, I mean we've got a true Bob game situation on our hands. That stands for bounce of ball. When you don't have what Alabama had. You know, Alabama could have some stuff go wrong. Jamison Williams makes up for a lot of it. He's always got belly-out potential. He's got popcorn-dropping potential. But if you don't have that, then it really doesn't matter what the recruiting rankings say over the course of the last four years. It doesn't matter what the point spread says. Bottom line is, if you don't have a quarterback that is elite in nature and you don't have those game-breaker, popcorn-dropper types out wide, you're in for a dogfight. Pun intended, I guess. You're in for a dogfight. Doesn't mean you can't be the better team. It just means you got to win this game a lot the way you used to have to win them 15 or 20 years ago. You know, you you got to wear it and it's going to show over four quarters. That's what you got to hope for. Ronnie Bell... And Arian Smith, ironically enough, I think would have been integral parts of this game. Could have even been guys who would fit this role. Ronnie Bell was Michigan's best receiver. They lost him for the year. Arian Smith had not done a lot for Georgia, but if you look at what they're going to lack in this game, that is elite over-the-top speed. Arian Smith, for all we know, could have been on his way to developing into that guy that you're talking about as having come out of nowhere late in the year. Well, he's not there either. He's hurt for Georgia. You know, we saw George Pickens make one big play against Alabama, and that made a lot of folks go, uh-oh, he wasn't a factor. Rest of the game, he wasn't a factor. A lot of people ask, why didn't they throw to him more? Well, it's obvious he didn't have the gear that he needed to have for you to throw to him a whole lot. I mean, Lad McConkey's been a very good player for Georgia. I'm not saying there aren't good players. Notice what I said. I was very careful in the wording. There are not elite game breakers. Uh, that's why they call them game breakers. There aren't very many of them across the country. So the total is low in this game. Total's in the 40s. You see it right there on the screen if you're watching on YouTube. The total's 45 and a half. This is an NFL game. That's an NFL and really not even a 2021. That's like a 2009, 2010 uh, NFL kind of, you know, Pittsburgh versus Tennessee. That's kind of where those totals hang out. Maybe a little bit lower than that. But the reason is because you lack those game-breaking elements. That makes these games... Uh, what is very rare in uh, college football, that is very prone to what I call the four-way go in the world of teasers. Used to always love in the first and second rounds of NFL playoff action to hit those two team seven-point teasers because I had a bookie back home that gave me 110 juice on it. I don't think he offers that anymore. But we'd get those, we'd get those points spread around six, seven. We'd get the totals in the 40s, and you knew the game was going to be so condensed and there was so much variance in the game that oftentimes you couldn't go wrong. All four legs of those teasers would hit. I wouldn't be shocked at all if we got a four-way go situation here. You bet George in the over. You bet Michigan in the under with teaser, not parlay. Parlays are Satan's tool. But teasers, possibility here. 
I am very, very concerned about a couple things for both of these teams. Let me tell you what I'm concerned the most about for Georgia. Without the pass game, there is no break point versus the Georgia defense. So here's what I mean by that. If Michigan's pass game is not there, if Cade McNamara and, and, and that passing game, if they cannot establish enough and they're having to lean on that run to like a two-to-one ratio, kind of like they did earlier in the year before they got out of that, and, and to their credit, they evolved in nature. But if they do try and lean on that run, what I'm scared is going to happen is they're going to keep waiting for that break point to come. And I don't know if the break point's there. By break point, I mean all of a sudden the two-yard runs start becoming the four-and-a-half-yard runs, start becoming the seven-yard runs, and you're just sitting there with your popcorn late third quarter, and you know, you're know you nudging your buddy in the ribs, and you're saying, here they go. It's, it's about to, they're about to break it open. They keep leaning and leaning. It's all going to pay off. Sometimes four quarters isn't long enough against the best run defenses. I mean, Georgia's average run defensive yards allowed about half, about half of what you would normally give up and what another team would normally average. It worries me that Michigan, if they get in that kind of situation, looks around and they are arrogant enough, they have earned the right to be. It, it concerns me if Michigan becomes arrogant enough to where they say, we don't care. We don't care about the block G on their helmet. Look, we're Michigan. We can run it on anyone. I'd think that way if I were them too. My concern is, what if I'm feeling that way, but it's falsely based? That's my concern for Michigan. My concern for Georgia would be this. There's a path in this game where I think Cade McNamara has a surprising to shocking day through the air. I'm, talking, I'm not talking about Bryce Young numbers necessarily, but I'm talking about you sitting there thinking, oh, what, about 150, 175 through the air, and he throws like 300 on you. And you would never expect that. I, mean, his, I don't know what his prop bet total is for over-under passing yardage. It's nowhere near 300. I can promise you that. Here's what would concern me about Georgia. You go back and watch the SEC title game where they got it handed to him by Alabama, as we talked about in the Bama Cincy preview. It's because Bryce Young had too much time. Alabama didn't win the Joe Moore Award for best offensive line in the country. You know who did? It was Michigan. What if I'm watching this game, and I'm watching midway through the first quarter, early second quarter, and all of a sudden, Cade McNamara, J.J. McCarthy, whoever, whoever's back there for quarterback at Michigan, what if they have all the time in the world? You know, what if that pass rush hasn't magically shown up? Like, what if Kirby Smart didn't just get that bequeathed to him for Christmas? What if Michigan's got some time to throw? And what if that Georgia secondary, even against non-elite Michigan receivers, can't stand up? What if these backs for Michigan out of the backfield become a weapon a whole lot more because that offensive line is able to stand up and they don't need to keep extra pass pro help in, all of a sudden the game changes. And all of a sudden what you thought was going to be a run-heavy approach from Michigan becomes a, wait a second, I'm pretty clean back here. And then you got Josh Gaddis looking to say, wait a second, my quarterback's pretty clean back there. There is a path in this game where Michigan wins the game throwing the ball which would be about the third or fourth way you would think they would win this. You would think uh, special teams points, uh, running the ball, a bunch of turnovers, and then the fourth possible possibility would be, I guess they could throw it to win. There's a path. That's the concern I have. Now, Georgia could shut that down early in the game, and we're not really talking about it a whole lot more. But that possibility, plus some creativity and some wrinkles, which Michigan has shown the propensity to do, especially second half of the year in the passing game, a special teams, same way, that could be the difference in a game that's a bob game. One bounce of ball, one bend here, one break there. So there's no huge quarterback edge. 
I got asked today, who's got the better quarterback here? I don't think there's a decided edge either way. We don't have elite receivers, and because we don't have that, this could be just from a prediction standpoint, from a gameplay standpoint, kind of could be one of the most entertaining games in the playoffs we've had in quite some time. I think the line's too big. Let's get into it. Let's talk about what the model thinks. The model has this at five and a half. And before I even looked at our model, I agreed with that sentiment. So the Vegas number is Georgia minus seven and a half. We've got Georgia minus five and a half for our in-house model. There is a very, very fine line here. Uh, I ended up going Michigan to cover, Georgia to win. So I think it's a one-score Georgia win. There are several paths for Michigan to end up winning this game outright. I've seen Michigan in person twice this year, and I remember vividly the first time I saw them, it was in East Lansing. They went in there, and they lost to Michigan State. I got a Michigan buddy. I'll never forget. I'm driving back to the airport, and he calls me, and he says, you know, it's going to sound stupid, but I feel more confident in our ability to beat Ohio State after this game today. They tasted their blood early. They thought they got jilted in that game. They thought they had a game taken away from them. They certainly were not deterred in their mission. It ended up being a positive. I think Michigan is a better team because they lost in East Lansing earlier in the year. Well, hey, Georgia just had that happen to them. I'm very fascinated to see what kind of Georgia team we have. You know, everyone's talking about the difference in mentality. And that's all well and good as long as what you're thinking has changed about yourself is validated early on. But if it's not, if Michigan jumps you, if you have some of the same issues to start the game you had against Alabama, that doubt, it's not all that far in the rearview mirror. That doubt can creep back in. So sustaining for four quarters, you know, winning that turnover battle, not making critical errors at quarterback in judgment, which is going to be key for both these teams. Really interested to see this one. I'm going Georgia to win the game. I'm going Michigan to cover. There is no shock for me whatsoever if Michigan ends up winning this game. I don't see the blowout potential either way. I don't see it. I was talking to a buddy today who, who made the case for a Michigan blowout. I got another buddy who could just swear to you a Georgia blowout's imminent. And I'm sitting there thinking, guys, what, what about like 24 to 21? Like, are we feeling that? I think that's more in line with what we should expect here. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Now, if we are right, if both those predictions pan out, what did I just call for? Well, I called for an Alabama-Georgia national title game. Now, I know a lot of you are not pulling for that. So I think uh, in television executive land, their ideal scenario is, hey, I guess, a Citrus Bowl 2019 rematch, Alabama versus Michigan. I was at the Verbo Citrus Bowl two years ago, and that taco bar was, was killer, but the game was great too. What if we have that for a national championship? Man, I'm, I'm really excited. I mean, that Alabama-Cincy game is big. That Georgia-Michigan game, I'm going to talk about it more on the Thursday show. Okay, I, didn't want to, I didn't want to go out on the periphery. I just wanted to do game breakdown. But on the Thursday show, I'm, I'm going to go in great detail about the ramifications. If Michigan wins that game, understand what happens there. You've got Kirby Smart exiting a season that they were virtually wire to wire, number one team in the country. And they're exiting that season without any kind of trophy to show for it. They didn't win the SEC. They didn't win a playoff game. They end up 12-2. and two. They would have accomplished less than their 2017 team did because that team won the SEC, and it went to the national title game in overtime of the title game. Um, psychologically, it would cripple a lot of Georgia folks. I've been in Georgia for the past week. I can confirm this off the record. A lot of folks have confided in me. 
yeah, I'd probably go in hiding for about four or five months. But also, if that happens, that means Jim Harbaugh is going to play for a national championship nine days later. Like it, the whole, it's like a whole new world. Don't you dare close your eyes. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Let's talk about the transfer portal for a second. The transfer portal's in the news. Get used to it. That's like a perma headline, just 24-7, 365. The transfer portal has many ways you can look at it. I woke up this morning. I was looking at some numbers. There are just insane amounts of kids in the transfer portal. Whomst amongst us is not in the transfer portal a time or two these days. I think there are two ways to look at the portal right now. Because a lot of you have been asking when I do Q&As, when we do this show, a lot of you will ask in the live chat, Something about the transfer portal. So I wanted to talk about it for a second here. I think there are two ways to look at it. You got the first, which is to fight it. And that's to no avail because it's not going anywhere. The second is to accept it. But by accepting it, I don't mean you have to like it. I take the B and approach. So I am in camp B. I've accepted it. But it doesn't mean I love it. Here's the and part. So I accept it and I want to change it. That's what I want to do. But I don't need to get my hands involved, I don't think, to change it. This is the concept that I want to present to you humbly tonight, because a lot of you are going to disagree with this. I know, because I've talked to a lot of you about it. But just hear me out for a second, and I'll be happy to read your comments. So if you don't like what's happening with the transfer portal right now, and you look at it and you say, well, there are so many kids in there, and my problem is a lot of them are making foolish decisions with their career, Uh, They are headed down a dead-end road and they're just ignoring all the dead-end signs to the left and right and I need to step in or we need to step in and we need to intervene. Look, sometimes, I know it sucks to hear, sometimes you just got to let folks learn a hard lesson. I mean, sometimes that's the best course of action. The best course of action is no action. Just get out of the way. Transfer portal is not 15 years old, guys. It's only 15 months old. It hasn't been around all that long in the nature it's in now which means the market has not adjusted yet. Now, if you'll remember one of the first segments I ever did on the transfer portal, uh, it's, it's been a while back now, but it looked like there was just this tsunami, and there was, there still is, still ongoing. A lot of guys in that portal, they disappear, never to be heard from or seen again. And I told you, no, this is not ideal. And you're absolutely right when you say these guys are making just catastrophic decisions for their career. Like you're... I'm not even being selfish when I say it. I don't care about me. I'm not, a, I'm not impacted by the portal. I'm not rooting for a specific team. 
I am truly selfless and, and looking out for the kids' best interest when I say some of these decisions are horrible. However, I'm going to follow up that sentence by saying, but I'm going to support your right to do whatever you want to do. It's your life. It's your career. Here's what is going to happen, I still think, eventually. I still think you got to give it a couple more years for it to really saturate. But I think what's going to happen is the best course of action is going to be no action. Just for the adults in the room, bite your tongue, lean back in the chair for a little while, put your hands behind your head, and just observe. And watch these kids run off the cliff with nowhere to land. And you can feel bad about it, but just avoid the, 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 the temptation to interfere. Because what has to happen is some tough lessons have to be learned. They have to be learned from 10th graders, just as they have to be learned from freshmen in college right now. The guys that could be future portal entrants, they need to be watching. That ultimately, if we don't do anything else, and this just turns out the way that it keeps turning out, is probably going to be enough to deter a lot of kids. But then here's the follow-up. How do you get that deterrent? That is where a lot of adults in the room have to step in. The adults don't need to be stepping in and saying, okay, where's the break glass to stop button? Boom, portal over. That's not what you do. What you do, if you're a parent of a high school kid or, or a kid in college right now, if you're a high school coach, position coach, head coach, strength and conditioning coach, if you're a mentor in a kid's life, if you're the college coaching staff, if you're the support staff, if you're the nutrition staff, and if you are in our world, the media world, and you do feel this way, what you have to do is raise awareness. What you have to do is make sure you go, hey, are you watching this? Put that stat out there every single day. Retweet it every single day. Hang it on your weight room door every single day. How many kids are in the portal right now? How many of them left one Power 5 program and did not find a home at another Power 5 program? How many of them thought there were greener pastures on the other side? Statistically, put it in front of my face. Have it scream at me. And it turned out that the opposite was true. you got to make sure that guys are equipped with the information. Right now, I think a lot of folks have done a pretty poor job of equipping guys with the right information. It may be because they got the wrong folks in their camp, or it may just be because not enough people have taken it upon themselves. That's the key. That's what you got to do. If you arm those dudes with the right information, you'd be surprised, I think, how many of them are deterred from making a decision that's not going to be in their best interest. Interconference transfers, though, there are some tweaks I think we can make here. I don't think we were wrong in the SEC or the Big Ten or anywhere else in barring movement within the conference. Like, I, if, listen, if, if you're electing me commissioner today, I support a decision where you are not just freely transferring inside a conference. You want to leave a conference, I'm not going to let those coaches block where you can go. I'm not for that. But, I mean, watching these guys transfer inside conferences, like, that's a death ticket for the rest of college football. Alabama is just going to kill you with it every year. They already are. I mean, Saban right now, he just went and got Eli Ricks. He got Jameer Gibbs. Probably not done. We'll see. Like, it, if you're trying to act in the best interest of the sport, Saban's the guy who didn't want the rule in place. Like, Saban's the guy once upon a time with Maurice Smith who said, I don't think he should be able to leave and go to Georgia. Well, you know what? He lost. But Saban didn't lose. The rest of the SEC lost. Because he said, all right, I'm going to be upset about this for about... 10 seconds, and then I'm going to turn the entire situation on its ear, and I'll just dominate you with this. And he is. And Ohio State's going to do the same thing. And Oklahoma's going to do the same thing. The USC is going to do the same thing. So that's part one.
Part two is I would love to totally overhaul the college football calendar to where the transfer portal is not just open all year. Like guys entering the transfer portal during the season is crazy to me. Should not be allowed. And I, if you think I'm stripping away some of your rights, so be it. Look, you're going to have a window down the road. But man, the players don't run this sport ultimately. There are governing bodies in a perfect world that should run the sport and should be acting in the sport's best interest, which, if you structure it the right way, coincides with the player's best interest. Let me be perfectly clear about that. And there are windows that make perfect sense on the college football calendar in which I could have that transfer portal open. I don't think that should be a 365-day-a-year thing, though. So I would love to see the inter-conference transfer rule adjusted. I would love to see transfer portal windows instituted. But you don't shut down the portal. You don't do it. That's, even if you don't like it right now, you don't advocate to shut it down. That's not in anyone's best interest because ultimately you got to learn some lessons the hard way sometimes. That's not always the way it has to happen. I personally have never touched a hot stove. I never heard I had to learn a lesson the hard way. Uh, but there are some other lessons I have had to learn the hard way. Transfer portal, probably going to end up being one of them for a lot of guys. Okay, I got two more things I need to get to here. We've got four more best bets, and then I got about three Q&As that I want to get to. By the way, I appreciate you guys being tuned in live. If you are, adjust the seat here, unfamiliar seat. If you are, uh, do me a favor, subscribe to the channel. That's all. Just subscribe to the channel, and uh, we will appreciate it. Every time I ask you, we have a little surge, a little spike in subscription, so thank you. Without further ado, I acted like I was going to snap my fingers for some reason. Let's add these four best bets here. I almost put Louisville on today. At last check, they were losing by two touchdowns. I'm glad I didn't. So I tweeted these games out earlier. Uh, I don't know if the lines have moved. So on the screen right now are the games we have already moved on. Now, before I give you the added four, I know a lot of you listen on podcast. You can't see this. So we're on Iowa State minus one and a half. I think if you have not bet that yet, you can get a better number. They play tomorrow. They play Wednesday. Um, we've got Oklahoma minus four and a half. We've got Baylor at a pick'em. And then these four games I have added today. West Virginia, they are playing tonight versus Minnesota. We got them at plus five. Then we've got Wisconsin Thursday against Arizona State. Badgers minus six. We like that up to a touchdown. Purdue, I got a lot of pushback on this game. Purdue plus five and a half. That is a Thursday game against Tennessee. A lot of you are feeling Tennessee. A lot of you are asking me, why Purdue? Uh, because the model says so. Like, if I were just picking on gut, I love Tennessee. How often have we learned the lesson the hard way? Speaking of the theme we just came off of, we don't bet with our gut on this show. That's not how we have won consistently the way we have. Purdue plus five and a half. And then Oklahoma State plus two and a half. If I were betting with my gut, no way I'd touch Oklahoma State. They ended the season ice cold. The model loves them. Model does good in bowl season, so I'm not going to question it. So West Virginia plus five, whiskey minus six, Purdue plus five and a half, Oklahoma State plus two and a half. Okay, quickly, I promised you this today. I'm going to get to it. We normally do late kick extra twice a week. It's podcast only. It's Tuesday morning, Thursday morning. But since we're on the road right now and I don't have my equipment with me, we have not done it this week. So why not a little condensed version of it? Here's what the late kick extra podcast normally sounds like. Uh, Hunter King, first up. Has this been the best college football season ever? I've been watching for 24 seasons. This has been the best one since my first. That was when Tennessee won the national championship. So I think that would be 1998. I have got to be real with you. I know sometimes we're prisoner of the moment. I really think I'm not going to push back on you if you tell me this is the best season you've ever seen. 
What I'm most proud of is that we saw it coming. What I'm most proud of is we sat here, well, not here, we sat in Nashville all summer, and we started saying, Renaissance season's coming. I mean, we coined a phrase. We named our entire tour after the idea that this was going to be an insane season for college football. Why did we feel that way? For all the reasons that you've seen play out. Number one, the super senior rule was a huge part of this. There were going to be more senior-laden rosters out there. Therefore, there was going to be a lot more parity injected into the equation. There was going to be a lot more uncertainty week to week. We got big upsets every week. Crowds were back in stadiums for the first time in two years. That led to, number one, a return to the atmospheres we all love. But also, it was like atmosphere plus because we had a sense of appreciation. I witnessed it every week. I've been on the road 14 out of the last 14 weeks. I experienced it every weekend. There was like a rabid nature plus an appreciative nature because you had something taken away from you and then you got it back again. And that was awesome. But also, and I think we actually have a question coming up, so I'm going to save it. But also, I want you to crystallize that thought. Like, Hunter, you just asked, is it the best season you've ever seen? And you think it is. Okay, well, I would suggest to you, nothing should be able to change that. Nothing will ever make me forget how classic that Red River shootout game was. Nothing will make me forget being on the field for the whiteout at Penn State earlier this year. Nothing will make me forget watching Michigan State upset Michigan and then going back up there again and watching Michigan upset Ohio State. Nothing will make me forget watching Baylor storm the field after they beat Oklahoma. Nothing's going to make me forget that. It doesn't matter if we have three blowout games and Alabama wins their 47th national title uh, in a couple of weeks. Nothing about that changes because, as I've tried to emphasize on this show for so long, you should never define the value of an entire season by how it ends. Movies can work that way. College football seasons do not work that way. Crystallize the regular season. Define it. If you think it's the best you've ever seen, then that's it. Close the book on it already. That's the regular season. Now, you can talk about whether or not it was the best playoff you've ever seen once the playoff wraps up. Next question was from Ryan Day's burner. Could literally be his burner for all I know. With John Mechie out, how did Gardner and Bryant and the rest of the Bearcat defensive backs perform against Jamison Williams and the Alabama wide receivers? Kind of just touched on this in the Alabama-Cincinnati breakdown. I think a lot of that has to do with, number one, of course, how much pressure they're getting on Bryce Young. But number two, look, I think Cincinnati early on is going to put an inordinate amount of attention on Jamison Williams. And it's essentially yelling across the field, show me that someone other than number one in Crimson can beat us. And I'm very interested to see how far in the game they get before another receiver has two or three catches under the ledger. Or maybe the tight end position does come up big for Alabama. I think that is the answer to this question. Like Cincinnati's got some very good future NFL guys in the secondary. That matters when you make them play the way they're used to playing. There is no defensive back. I don't care whoever the first DB is going to be taken in the draft next spring. Take that guy, put him on the field with Jamison Williams, and then have him cover him for three and a half or four seconds. He's toast. It's not even his fault. That means that you didn't pressure Bryce Young enough, or he's scrambling out of the pocket, and then you're just improving, and you got one of the best athletes you'll ever see on a football field, and Jamison Williams, who's running a spaghetti route, you have no prayer. So that's going to be the answer to that question. What about no pressure, no diamonds? He asked, would it be the ultimate ending to the Renaissance Tour if Cincinnati wins it all? I want you to notice the spelling of Cincinnati here, folks. 
It's not spelled N-A-T-T-I. I have struggled a long time with how to really spell Cincinnati, by the way. Is it double N? Is it double T? Is it double both? But look, I, don't really, I, I can't spell restaurant half the time either without my iPhone helping me out. So I think the answer here is yes. If you wanted to correlate the value of the regular season with how the playoff ends, then yes, okay, it would be fitting. But like I just said a little while ago, Cincinnati could get skull drug. Cincinnati could get body bagged by five touchdowns. It doesn't impact what the regular season was, to me at least. Like Georgia and Michigan could blow each other out by 35 either way, and then we could have a dud of a national championship game. I don't care. I care. I don't want to see that happen. But it does not impact one iota the value that I put on what we just witnessed in this regular season. Like I got folks who would tell you today, who have emailed me, who watch Late Kick, who would tell you I was not a college football fan before this season. Either my buddy turned me on to the show or I was brought to the game because, you know, when COVID happened, I wanted a sense of normalcy like everyone else. So when college football was back, hey, I went to college once upon a time. Why don't I watch college football? But they would tell you that this regular season brought them to the table. Nothing about the way the postseason plays out should change that. Like, I think it's been... I think it's been so valuable in so many ways that you'll see play out down the road this regular season. And I'm very glad we emphasized it the way we did on this show. And it's not over yet. At least the season in and of itself is not over yet. Uh, so that's why we're down here. Really good show tonight. A good strong 50 minutes there. I may do some more Q&A Thursday. We'll see. I really love the Q&A format. We're going to get back to it next week in the traditional form. Uh, so just in case, keep submitting the questions. Look, huge appreciation. We're between Christmas and New Year's. A lot of you got stuff going on. You're tuned in anyway. We've got our crew here anyway. We've got our crew back in Nashville here anyway. So thank you to them. Thank you to you uh, for making it possible for us to call this work. I know a lot of you are doing stuff you don't want to do occupationally right now. And so that's why we stress that we've got to put this stuff out. We're not taking long vacations because I have every single day those of you telling me, this podcast, this show gets you through a part of your day that otherwise you would hate. And I'm not just using that H word because it came out of my mouth that way. I know a lot of you give me very personal accounts of how you listen to the show. I read them. I just want to let you know I read them. I answer a lot of them, but I read them. So thank you for that. And we will continue to produce as long as you are there. So for our crew here in Fort Lauderdale and our crew back in Nashville, I'm Josh Pate. We'll see you back here Thursday night, same time. Have a great rest of your evening and God bless. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the shed? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes May 10th. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply.